Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we began our look at the in-camera testimony of Jeannie Seconder, one of the defendant's former co-workers who discovered evidence of his financial crimes that led to his resignation. In this installment, we continue that review. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It is late morning on February 2nd, 2023, day seven of the trial of Alex Murdoch. In our last episode, Judge Clifton Newman began his in-camera review of the admissibility of testimony regarding the defendant's alleged financial crimes as evidence of his motives for killing his wife and son. The first in-camera witness was Jeannie Seconder. Ms. Seconder testified that she reviewed the finances of Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Elts, Roth, and Dietrich, or PMPED, the law firm in which Alex Murdoch was a partner. The witness also testified that, during late May and early June of 2021, she discovered evidence that the defendant may have diverted fees from Chris Wilson, a friend and fellow lawyer, that should have been dispersed to the law firm of PMPED, and instead had those funds deposited to his own personal accounts. Again, the prosecution's overarching argument during these in-camera examinations is that Alex Murdoch murdered his wife and son in order to try to cover up and or distract attention away from his financial misdeeds, which were discovered in the weeks leading up to the shootings. We resume our review of Ms. Seconder's testimony with Prosecutor Creighton Waters asking the witness about the day she brought her suspicions to a head. All right. Um, on June 7th, did the issue come back to a head? The issue did come back to heads. Just clear, this is June 7th, 2021. This is, yes, yes. It was, of course, later on that same day that Paul and Maggie Murdoch would be killed. Before continuing, Prosecutor Waters asks Ms. Seconder to clarify the amount of the missing fees that were expected from Chris Wilson. And how much were these fees supposed to be, did you know? $792,000 in total. And to this point, the firm had not received those fees, is that correct? That's correct. Waters then pivots back to how Ms. Seconder brought the issue to a head with Alex Murdoch. So on June 7th, I was going to make another run at finding out from Alec if we had their information. Um, I went upstairs to his office, was on the second floor, and he was on a, leaning on a file cabinet outside of his office. And he turned and looked at me when I came up and said, what do you need now? And gave me a very um, dirty look, not a look that I'd ever received from Alec from, just kind of frustrated with me look, which made me go, oh, you want to know, let's go in your office. 
So we went in the office and closed the door, and at that point I told him that I had reason to believe that he had received the funds himself and that I needed proof that he had not. Received those fees himself? Yes. And I needed proof that, that they were not? Yes. What did he tell you? He told me again that he assured me that the money was there and that he could get it. And at that point I said, I know, I said, I'm just trying to do my job, and if I don't get this paperwork and verify that with these questions, I'm not doing my job. He actually acted like he respected that and again said that that money was there and that he again was trying to decide what he was going to be doing with it. And did y'all get to conclude that conversation or did something interrupt it? We did not. He took a phone call in the middle of that conversation. That phone call was about his father that was in, who was in the hospital, that he was going to be terminal, and that there was nothing else they'd be able to do for his father. So that changed the mood of the conversation. We quit talking about business, and I immediately asked about him and his family and his dad, and you know, we got talking as friends at that point, concern over the family. And after that, I shortly left, so it briefed and cut down the conversation. All right. You'd come in there asking for proof where that money was because you had believing, reason to believe he took it, and then the conversation ultimately got short by the call about his father. Yes. Uh, did you have a conversation later in the day with Ellen? I did. Around 4 o'clock my phone rang, and um, I remember that because I, I had been under the impression Ellen was going to leave and go to the hospital or leave to deal with his father. And around 4 o'clock my office extension rang, and at that point, he was asking me for some information on his 401k balances because he stated he was working on some financials for the hearing on the boat accident that was later in the week. There was a hearing later in the week, and he was working on financials for the boat accident. Correct. Did that strike you as odd? That he called and asked me? No, he had asked me before, so and he, I would be the one to give him the 401k. So it didn't surprise me that he's calling and asking me about that. But I was surprised that he was in the building working on it. Why was that? I just thought he was leaving a deal with his father. Because that interrupted the prior conversation. That's right. Is that the last conversation you have with him? It is. When did you find out about the murders? I initially found out through the rumor mill around 10.30 or 11 o'clock the evening of them, but I did not get confirmation until I received a text from the partner roughly 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Were you shocked by that? Yes. Scared? Yes. Worried? Yes. Worried for Alec? Worried for everybody, yes, especially Alec. Um, in the wake of the murders, do you know if the hearing that was later that week got canceled? It did get canceled. That was a hearing in the boat case where he's personally a defendant? That's my understanding, yes. In the wake of the boat case, did you and the partners have a discussion about what to do about getting to the bottom of these Ferris fees? We did. We did not the week of the murders because pretty much our office shut down the week of the murders and then his father also passing away. But when we got back around to it, Lee and Mark Ball and I were the ones doing the discussion. Lee decided that he would call Chris Wilson himself directly and try to get the information, and Lee took over from there. In the wake of the murders, did anyone want to bring that up to Alec again? No. Nobody wanted, Alec was distraught and upset and not in the office much, and nobody wanted to, to harass him about nothing that we thought was really missing. We had several months till the end of the year to clear it up, so we were not going to harass him at that point in time. So that part just got stopped in his tracks, is that? Yes, Lee took over calling Chris Wilson and trying to pursue it. All right, and when was that? You said in July sometime? 
Yes, probably early July. Right. And what was the result of that? Lee said, and you, you could speak to him more clearly, but Lee said Chris Wilson got off the phone pretty quick with him, which was surprising because apparently Chris Wilson has the gift of gab. Um, but again, Chris assured Lee that it was there. Right. Ultimately, did y'all get an email about that this particular issue? We did. Ultimately, on July 19th, there was an email from Chris to Alec stating that the money was in Chris Wilson's trust and would have been available any time that we requested it. That email was forwarded to Lee Cope and myself. From him? From Ellie. And what's, uh, is that the email up on the screen that you're talking, that you're talking about right now? It is. All right. And uh, we see 600000 for Andrew Ferris and 192 for Denise. What, what's, explain that breakdown, if you would, please. So there's um, two two parties in this case, and apparently there was two recoveries, and each of them would have had a fee dependent upon their recovery. So to me, this looks like Andrew's portion, the fee for his settlement was the 600000 and Denise's was 192000 at this point in time, had the firm received this $792,000? No. Uh, did this uh, email, though, sort of end the inquiry, at least for the present moment? Yes. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Prosecutor Creighton Waters next follows up with Jeannie Seconder about the missing attorney fees from the Ferris litigation matter. All right, well, let's move the story forward again. Uh, did this matter ever come to your attention again at a later time? Yes. And how, tell me when that came to your attention. That would have been in September after we found some other misappropriations and we had confronted Alec and he had resigned. We ended up having more conversations with Chris Wilson right after that and Chris admitted that he did not have all the money. Well, let me let me back it up. Before we get to there, I'm talking about as far as it relates to Alec, did this particular issue with trying to get the Ferris fees come to your attention? And let me take you to early September 2021. No, not that I recall. Okay. In early September 2021, did uh, the Hirschberger matter that you mentioned earlier, did that come back here? That came back to my attention. I started pursuing that and decided I was going to go through and look and make sure that he had not tried to already defer something else that we had missed. And at that point, I decided to print a, a ledger print out of our system of payments to forge. And as I did that, I started printing all the documents that would relate to those disbursements, the disbursement statements and the canceled checks. And as I started printing the canceled checks off, 
I could see Bank of America on the back and Alec Murdoch's signature. And everyone that came out was just put it a little bit more in the grave for me. That's when I found that out, I had William Barnes come over, who was a partner who was in there in the office that day, and had him look at them. He also believed that they were that they were LX signatures on the back of these checks. And just real quick, these are checks coming from the client trust account? Yes. And they're made out to what? Forge. But what's what's unusual to you that's causing you to have that feeling that you just described? Um, the, the endorsement and the Bank of America on the back and the fact that it looked like LX signature. Yeah. All right. And so you talked to William Barnes, is that right? Yes. And uh, did you talk to other partners about what you were finding? We did. We William and I then called Mark Ball, who had been aware of this situation the whole time. Mark Ball was the treasurer, so he came back into the office. We showed him the signatures. He agreed with us, and he also recognized one of the disbursements as a case that could not have possibly been dispersed yet because it was held up waiting some court orders for a workers' comp lien. We also talked to Lee Cope that night about it, and Lee, we, we came to the plan for Lee to call Michael Gunn with Forge and see if they had banked at Bank of America. Michael Gunn confirmed that they had not banked at Bank of America in a number of years. Did y'all send them a list of uh, clients, of uh, the ones that you were pulling off of your system that had payments to forge at Bank of America? We did. We gave them a few names that evening, not the complete list. We gave them a few names that we had, and he verified that those, to Michael Gunn verified to Lee Cope that those were not any structures or any nudies and they didn't have records of them. All right. Uh, around this time, did Annette bring you anything and that this is all going on? Yes. So this is completely independent and coincidental. Annette, the same afternoon of September 2nd, was in his office trying to look for something. And when she moved to file, a check fell out. When the check fell out, she looked down, and it was Chris Wilson, and it was the $225,000 check payable to Richard Alexander Murdoch that we had already found. Prosecutor Waters next directs Ms. Seckinger through a series of financial documents that deepened her suspicions that Alex Murdoch had been misappropriating the firm's funds. I'm going to show you what's been marked as Exhibit uh, 313 uh, states for purposes of this hearing. You recognize that? That is. That's the check. This is the actual check that was found. Is that right? That's correct. Got an endorsement on the back. Let me ask you this. You've worked with Alex Murdoch for how long? 23 years, roughly. During that time, did you become familiar with his handwriting? Yes. Can you recognize it when you see it? Yes. Looking at the handwriting, the endorsement on the back of that document, do you recognize it? That's his signature. Uh, but up on the screen, is this the check? Yes. Yes. And then on the back, whose writing is that? Alex. Once we, once you started printing out all those forged ones that had Alex writing on it in Bank of America, and you contacted Forge. Did you ask them whether or not they ever banked uh, the real Forge, if they ever banked at Bank of America? Lee Cope had that conversation, and Michael Gunn verified that they had not banked there in a number of years, more they, than 10 years. And they didn't have any active structures on any of the clients that y'all had given? That's correct. As a result of that, what did the leadership of the firm do next? We convened a meeting on the morning of Friday, September 3rd at Lee Cope's house with the majority of the partners and myself present. We discussed what we had found and showed everybody the documentation that we had recovered. And then the choice was made. Randy was not present initially 
the choice was made to bring Randy in and show him what we had found. And after Randy was brought in and showed what, what was found, what happened next? Um, Randy immediately conceded that we needed to, to talk to Alec, that it looked like he had stolen. And Danny and Randy got together and met with Alec outside of the office. Front him with this information? They did. And it is my understanding that Alec admitted it and that it was determined he would resign. Did he ask for a leave of absence? Your I think he tried to do a few other things before resigning, but we, we made him resign. After the decision was made to resign, was it announced right away or was there any statement? It was not announced right away because the decision was made. Johnny Parker was getting married the next day and it was late on a Friday and that we were going to kind of hold off until the first of the week. We were going to contact some ethics attorneys and see what we needed to do and announce it the first of the week. Creighton Waters next has Ms. Seconder describe the moment she heard about the shooting of Alex Murdoch and her experiences in the aftermath of that incident. So we're in the weekend, September 3rd, September 4th, something like that? Yes. Is that Labor Day weekend? Yes. What's the next thing you recall hearing about Alec? The next thing I heard about Alec was um, I was actually with my family on the sandbar, and the next thing I heard was Suzanne Peoples with the EMS came down and told me that Alec had been shot in the head was being flown out to Savannah. Was that on the side of the road at Old Sokonachie? That's correct. What's the first thing you thought when you heard he had been shot? It, you know, nobody knew what to think. A lot of thoughts went through, but fear went through. Was this retaliation? Was he involved in something bigger that was going to get more of us in trouble? And, and just fear. As the months went on after that, did y'all continue to review your records looking for additional misappropriations? We did. We immediately decided once we found this out on, on September 2nd and had the confrontation on the 3rd, we immediately started doing a dig into our books and proactively going to look for anything. And anything that we found, we turned over to law enforcement. We also had a forensic audit from an outside firm come in and provided information from them. So this took most of September gathering all this information and, and going through all of our stuff to figure out what else we had missed or what else had occurred. You've uh, already described the checks to the Forge account at Bank of America, which was a fake Forge account, is that correct? That's right. Was there another manner in which uh, Alec Murdoch and misappropriated money that you uncovered in your review of the firm's records as CFF? Yes, we've also found out some payments made through um, Palmetto State Bank. Okay, and generally explain how those were working. So those were working, um, some of those Russell Lafitte was the conservator on and funds were directed to Palmetto State Bank as if they were going to be held for the beneficiary. And those checks were later converted into personal use for Ellig. And incidentally, the week after we, um, of the, the, the boat, at, I mean, of the roadside shooting, when we were in Alex's office, we actually found Forge, R. Alexander Murdoch, doing business with Forge bank statements in his office. Okay, so you found the Bank of America bank statements? Yes. And the title on those bank statements was what? R. Alexander Murdoch doing business as Forge. Client trust account checks, what color are they? Green. All right, and the uh, operating checks, are they a different color? Blue. 
Waters displays a spreadsheet containing financial information on the screen for Ms. Seckinger. Uh, and I'm going to show you uh, what's been marked as States 314 for this hearing and see if you recognize that document. Yes, this is a spreadsheet that we've developed of the money and the clients that had money um, stolen using the forged payment method. All right. And by the forged payment method, you mean what? Um, basically checks payable to forge that looked like they were going to be for a structured annuity on the behalf of the client. All right. And for the purposes of this hearing, in preparing that chart, you've been keeping a chart keeping these records. Is that correct? That's right. Is this all the misappropriations or is this focused just on some for purposes of, of a particular category? This is just for purposes of this particular category. And what category is that again? Forge. Prosecutor Waters displays a document with a series of columns on the court TV screen for Ms. Seckinger to review. If you could uh, just go across and tell me uh, what the various categories represent, please. The categories, if you see the, the, the column with category, forge payment, those would be where checks were actually written to forge as if those were the beneficiary's proceeds that were being sent for a structured annuity. Okay. The next line where it says Barrett Bulware took insurance proceeds, this is actually a check that was payable to Barrett, Barrett Bulware from Southern Fidelity Insurance. And Ellick actually endorsed that check. He had power of attorney on that file. He actually endorsed that check, and later we were able to trice it into his personal accounts. Right. If you keep going down, the majority of these are forged payment. If you get to Dion Martin, the first line says Before, fake. Just real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Just going across, though, we've got the client, we've got the civil action number, we've got the category that you were just describing, we got the date the trust was funded, and then we have the amount. Is that That's correct? right. And the date the trust was funded, what does that category refer to? That refers to when we found out and did the deep dive into exactly what had happened on each file and deposited the money back immediately into our client trust. So that's the firm actually, as we found these, put money in client trust. We then met with all the clients, reestablished what the correct disbursements should have been, and returned all funds to the clients. So the firm had to pay the money back that you've determined in each one of these cases that Alec Murdoch misappropriated through the fake forge on this list. We did. What's the uh, total amount? on this sheet? $2,841,512.55. And again, does this represent everything or just a particular category? Just a particular category. Just real quick, I see that says 129.11 for Thomas Moore. Is that supposed to be 21? Yes. And that would be the, the date and the check number of the check that was taken. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our review of the in-camera testimony of Jeannie Seckinger, which will help determine whether evidence of Alex Murdoch's financial crimes will be admissible in this murder trial. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. 
Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.